Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hi everyone, Adam Stern here with a quick announcement. Today's episode marks the end of season one of Characters on the Couch. It's been a real joy for Jordana and me to bring this season to you. We hope you've had as much fun listening as we've had discussing. We hope to be back in the mid-fall with season two, Characters on the Couch. Hi everyone, you have arrived at Characters on the Couch. I'm Jordana Horn and I am here with my dear friend, Dr. Adam Stern. Hi there. And we're going to be chatting all about analysis of fictional people. Hi, everybody. Welcome to yet another spectacular episode of Characters on the Couch. I'm Jordana Horn. I'm here with my... You know what's funny is that I keep calling you my dear friend, my good friend, Mm -hmm. my new friend, Mm -hmm. my friend, Dr. Adam Stern. All right. Well, it's a pleasure to be here with my dear friend, Jordana Horn. That's right. It's really nice to talk to you. And here we have a a show that, the show is Loot, Mm -hmm. and it's starring the inimitable Maya Rudolph. Mm -hmm. And it's really kind of, for those of you who haven't seen it, as always, we're going to spoil it for you. That's just what we do here, along with the psychological analysis. It's kind of a humorous take on the real situation of Mackenzie Bezos. So the the premise is that Maya Rudolph is married to Adam Scott, who made all of made oodles and gaboodles of money. And you know, the the initial scene of the show is they're touring this unbelievable boat that he bought for her for her birthday that has, you know, an indoor swimming pool and, uh, you know, everything else that you or I have in our, on our boats. Mm-hmm. And, but there is a catch, which is that her, at her big birthday party that evening, she finds out, not surprisingly to any of us who watch television, because this is a fairly popular premise, that he has had an affair with his significantly younger assistant. Mm -hmm. And so she leaves him in a very dramatic way. Mm -hmm. She gets half his money, I believe. Which is reported as like 80 some odd billion dollars. Right. Some unfathomable sum. That by the Um, end of the end of the season, she says, has somehow managed to grow to 120 (laughs) some odd billion dollars. Yes, because that's how it is. And so she decides she quickly realizes, you know, really in the space of one episode that that a life of mere uh, material dalliances is not going to sustain her in any way or bring her any happiness. So she realizes she has a foundation that has been working without her involvement or knowledge. And so now she's going to get involved in the foundation sort of to 
redirect her life and mm-hmm. give her life purpose. All right. So Adam, let's throw it to you yep. and let's psychoanalyze Molly, yep. the Maya Rudolph the character. Maya Rudolph character. So, so, yes. so as I like to do, let's imagine this patient is being referred to you. This would be one of those patients where you might get a special phone call from the person where they say, you know, this is um, a somewhat unique case that we're going to be talking about. The person person who built our hospital is coming. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, the two-liner might be that uh, she's a young middle-aged woman in the process of divorce, uh, has enormous resources at her disposal, but has a sense of meaningless, meaninglessness, excuse me, and and a loss of purpose and is, is struggling with her identity. Sort of full stop. Yes, which which let's say very quickly it is not. It's not merely a problem of the top one percent of the one percent. It is also a problem for this loss of identity. I'd love to talk more about that in terms of both midlife, as in the stereotypical midlife crisis, but mm-hmm. also in the wake of the end of a marriage or significant relationship, right. even even with a career, you could say, right? It doesn't have to be mm-hmm. a significant relationship with the person. Right. Any of these changes that happen, divorce, moving, changing careers, any of these very, the magnitude is so high and how disruptive they are to your life, but not just your everyday, day to day, but the meaning of your life. Why do I do this? Why do I get up and go through these motions? It's because I believe in X or I am X, you know, but in fact, when something like this sort of happens so suddenly and so intensely, it really shatters your sense of self. And I think if I were going to put a theme on this whole show, a lot of the characters, there's sort of a a line that you can draw from Molly to Arthur to Nicholas, uh, Molly's sort of do it, do everything assistant uh, who (laughs) who is an actor and wants to be an actor. There's a line that you can draw of all of them have experienced you know, the arc of the season is sort of trying to discover who they really want to be and who they really feel like they are and that they've been living a life that maybe it suited them, but it wasn't, it's not, it wasn't sustainable. So in this case, Molly's forced to make a change. She, it, I mean, the implication of the initial episode is that she would have been totally happy staying in her life as was, right, with her. Right preposterous. I don't even know if you call it, is that a yacht? Like that? it seemed more like a super Me- tanker. A, a mega yacht, maybe. I don't know what that is. Um, I, I will throw in here personally that, that my children have developed a very endearing habit, I believe started by Minions movies, of calling when they see large yachts, they call them villain boats. Oh. Which I think is hilarious on both an environmental level and mm-hmm. and and just seeing the world that way, I think is very funny. But so anyway, so I, I can't. I, I'm just saying, if I casually refer to this boat as a villain boat, that's yeah. why. So like it's a villain it. boat. Uh, nice. Yeah. Anyway, so she got off the villain boat not consensually, right? But rather, I mean, actually, she did in the sense that she was the one who initiated right. the split. We sort of got the vibe that he would have been fine just staying mm-hmm. married to her and continuing to have an affair with this 25-year-old mm-hmm. woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so right right at the very beginning, you get the sense that Molly is someone who, she has morals, she has standards, but it feels like a lot of them have been sort of corrupted over decades of accumulating this 
absurd wealth and uh, dependence on that, right? So in other words, she... <laughs> one of the very first jokes in the whole show as they're taking the small boat to the mega yacht boat, mm-hmm. uh, evil villain boat, she says like something like, it's a shame the weather's too bad or something. I wish we could just turn down the sun, you know, <laughs> just like 20%. <laughs> right. And it's right. a great joke. I think it works really well because it's it's like to your point about sort of like the Gru, you know, uh, evildoer, <laughs> you know, thing. It's like, that's not even a request that would cross anyone's mind, you know, even though she's doing it in jest, it's acknowledging like how ridiculous the situation is. For right. Her. And acknowledging that, yes, that is a preposterous request, but she lives in a world where preposterous requests are de rigueur, right? right? I mean, right. if she has an outfit that she feels would be better if it were a little more orange, then someone will run out and make her an outfit that's a little more orange. Mm -hmm. And I think that part of, as always, I kind of want to talk a little bit about the psychology of what appeals Mm. to us as the viewer about the show. show? Okay, so why, Adam, are we often so attracted to these, I mean obscene displays of affluence and materialism Mm -hmm. like that. I see that that has real appeal, whether it's a movie, a story, a TV show, most of us watching it are not in that echelon of reality. So where's the appeal? Right. So why do we watch there? I think there are several layers. Number one, there is an escapist, as you said, uh, the vast majority of the audience can only fantasize about having that kind of wealth. And, you know, I don't know if you're, I don't, I, this is one of those moments where I'll give a little bit too much away about my own personal life and, and oh, uh, I love rituals. Those moments. Yeah. So like, I don't play the lottery, uh, except when I feel like the lottery is like, when, and when it's one of those cultural phenomenons where it's like, oh, did you hear about Right. Did you hear it's a billion dollars? Exactly. Right. When it gets to a certain level and you're hearing about it at, work, you know, then it's like, all right, all right, uh, why not? You know, $2, fine. Okay. Maybe $10, fine, fine. I'll throw it down the tubes for the price that for the next 24, 48 hours, I'll fantasize about what it would be like to have that kind of money, right? When I do that, I used to do, I used to fantasize about all kinds of fun things. And then this shows my uh, becoming an old fogey, I guess. I, I now fantasize like, all right, you know, first thing I'm going to do is set up a foundation and I'll try to get some of my family members on the board of the foundation where they can make a salary, you know, for doing good work, you know, and it's like, that's one of my most recent things. I know, right? You're not like, I want a frozen yogurt machine in my shower, (laughs) you know? That comes Um, after, right? I guess. I mean, it's funny because you say that and yes, I think that, and that really like rings a bell with me because I also... I've had this discussion with my husband several times. My husband, who carefully explains statistics to me every single time that I buy a lottery ticket and, you know, the the odds of, I don't know, being struck by lightning and all these other things. And so I say, listen, you're looking at it from the wrong point of view. Okay, I'm spending this money on the ticket. I said, how much money would you spend, you know, back in the day when I used to go to movies and movie theaters rather than to my couch? I would spend a set amount of money on a ticket to go and watch 
someone else's fantasy mm-hmm. play out on the screen. Mm-hmm. I said, so for the smaller price of a lottery ticket, I can indulge in exactly what you're talking about, in that fantasy of, well, what would I do? I also have a little bit of like a self-righteous savior complex because Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't want someone who is like a climate destroyer or whatever to get that money. So it would be better for the world if I got Mm -hmm. the money. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm in fact saving the world really oh, by yeah. buying that lottery ticket. So. But I love that those are windows into into how people would, you know, have that dream come true of like, well, if I had unlimited resources, this is the kind of life I would carve out. Now what the now we get to the second layer, I think, which is that mm-hmm. as we all know, money doesn't buy happiness. And I don't think fact, we all really know it. I I really I I don't think we all really know it. I think like yeah, we know it, like we say it. But I think that if it. people really knew it, yeah. you know, then yeah. our world would be very different. Yeah. But anyway, so go on. There, there's a famous old study that looked at, you know, like really, truly your happiness does correlate to your wealth only up until about a salary of something like $75,000 a year. And then it really levels off. So huh. there's the the marginal increase is, is thought to be less at you know, 75 to 80, you might get a very tiny increase. 80 to 90, you might get a, a ton, nothing. So you're basically. saying 80 billion to 120 billion. It's really not as <laughs> much of a difference as exactly. you think. Gotcha, now, gotcha. Now that, I actually saw an updated sort of version of that study where it's like, well, that that's old data and it doesn't take into account like expensive cities and, and you know, different cost of living, et cetera, hmm. et cetera. But the concept is very important, which is that once your basic needs are met, your happiness is really less dependent on your wealth than you think it is, than most of us think it is. Mm. And I don't think any of us truly appreciate the problems. <laughs> I just realized I'm about to to cite what P. Diddy or someone from the early 90s saying, Mo Money, Mo... Is it P. Diddy or is it Biggie? I don't oh even know. God. Someone from my youth saying, Mo Money, Mo Problems. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it was not a, a rapper that I listened to, uh, as you can tell. All right. Now, we're in a new now, level in this podcast. We're in a new level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, yes. Anyway, my, yes, my, Adam. Mo money, mo money, mo problems. problems. And I think that there's a level of, of viewership that gets drawn into that because it's, oh, look, they're just like us kind of a moment for most viewers. This happened in real life the other uh, week. You know, the royal family's obviously been in the news. May the, the queen rest in peace. Um, I heard about that, yes. Yeah. But <laughs> the moment I'm referring to is several weeks ago when there was a big uh, event. Maybe it was a jubilee. I don't know. Uh-huh, the yeah. kids were there. The little kids, including, you know, the prince and his younger sister and their younger brother. And the youngest of them, this is William's kid, William and Kate's kids. Right. And the youngest right. of them was like throwing a little bit of a tantrum, just like any kid would. <laughs> yes. And yes. and that moment I, I captivated the world because it was like, oh, I love seeing that they're actually just human beings, you know, that the, the royal family is just a bunch of human beings, you know. Right. In the meantime, they beheaded him. <laughs> <laughs> So yes, it was a charming anecdote at the time. Right. At, at the uh, start, it's it may he rest charming. in peace as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So okay. So yeah, wealthy people—they're just like you and me, except they kind of aren't because she, Molly, you know, back in the show, she really 
kind of floats through life. It never occurs to her that people are talking to her or aren't because of her money. And in fact, she's really taken aback when, you know, the people from her actual family Mm -hmm. from whom she's semi estranged Mm -hmm. in a way that's not really explained particularly satisfactorily, but that they're really unimpressed by her way of using money as this one size fits all emotional crutch. Like, Oh, I don't want to deal with your unhappiness Mm -hmm. here. Take a new table. You know, Mm -hmm. it's nothing to me. Mm -hmm. And I think that in other words, having that amount of money alters the way, not only that you're perceived, but maybe also, maybe you're insulated a little bit, or you can be if you wish to be, right. from acknowledging that money infuses every interaction that you have all the time. Right. And there's a degree, one thing that the show does to a degree is is intertwine money and celebrity and fame, right? And so, you know, there are there are a lot of sort of quiet billionaires in in the world that are, as you said, sort of like uh, making philanthropic donations that are that are doing a lot of good, the show reveals itself over over the course of the season to be, frankly, I mean, overtly anti anti well anti billionaire. I mean, just yes. to say to to spoil the 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 show for for folks, like that's where it lands at the end of the season. And it, it's it's uh, that's a position that exists out in the world, you know. But I feel like the show also conflated the money and the and the celebrity lifestyle that 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 it it equated it with, which you know, frankly, like probably is true for some really super wealthy people and not true for other super wealthy people. So maybe I'm saying it painted with painted it with a sort of broad brush. Or maybe that's intentional and that's what they're, you know, they're just trying to make a point. What do you think? I think that beyond a certain, and, and I don't know what that certain level is, mm-hmm. right, of, of money. I think that, man, we're getting too into reality, Adam. <laughs> not allowed to be talking about reality. But I think that, I think that if you have a tremendous amount, I mean, I, I guess it's hard for me to divorce that from an obligation to A, recognize that the world is bigger than just you and B, that you're in a position where you can actually change the course of human history for mm-hmm. the better, mm-hmm. you know, in a in a comparatively unique position mm-hmm. to actually turn the tide, whether it's in terms of medical advances and being able to accelerate the pace of those by, you know, developing places and people and educational opportunities. You can make a real dent in systemic racism. Mm -hmm. You can, you know, do technological innovation that will set us on a path away from fossil fuels, you know, which are basically signing like the death warrant for our entire planet. Or I guess you could find your way to a new planet. Mm-hmm. Um, which seems to be an option that a lot of people are taking. So, so, you know, for, so I guess I like, I guess I come down on the idea that I think implicitly to me, I hear what you're saying. And I hear that implicitly you're relying on like, like some benevolent billionaires. Mm-hmm. And I guess I, 
I, I just want billionaires to pay their taxes, I guess. But, you know, I think that, um, but also to feel that I fear that a certain level of money insulates you from the rest of the world rather than making you feel more beholden to it and more responsible to it. So I think that's a delicate balance that the show does try to traverse, right? Because here she is realizing it's not really, well, it's, it's much more of a character study than it is. I think I personally would have enjoyed it more if it had been a little more, maybe a little more strident, maybe a little more explicit, you know, because here we get, you know, we get these snapshots of like, you know, random charity day where mm-hmm. she, you know, bestows like life-changing amounts on, of money on certain Los Angeles charities, you know, which is like a feel-good kind mm-hmm. of one-off. Mm-hmm. But what are the long-term implications of that? That's beyond the scope of the show, right? right? The, the closest the show gets to that idea is, is the Sophia character who's frankly been like running this foundation quietly in the background because it's her life's goal and her life's mission and she wants to do actual concrete good with it and she's very principled. And so so they sort of juxtapose, it's almost like it's it's like Molly's exposure to Sophia is something that's supposed to convey growth and personal development, but some of it just didn't just didn't ring true. Like it's hard to imagine that relationship I existing. I agree. And I think that it felt, it felt a little too, I think that, I think in, you know, we've had the, we've had the experience you and I of watching a lot of different shows over the course of the podcast and some of our favorites have been ensemble shows. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think though that, there are real differences between this show, not only because it's a it's a comedy for the most part, and it's enjoyable, it's light. Mm-hmm. And I find that, and I'm sure that any listener will not be surprised to hear this, that my predilections tend to go toward the more serious shows where where humor is of a more sharp and satirical mm-hmm. bent, right? Like I do like fun. But I, I prefer it more within the context of, say, a White Lotus mm. or Ted Lasso. I mean, the Emmys apparently mm. agree with me. But so Succession, mm-hmm. right? Like this had this had less of a cohesive. I think it could have been a much stronger show than it was. Mm-hmm. And I think the strongest element of the show is Maya Rudolph yeah. and her portrayal of Molly as someone who is really finding her way. And, you know, it's a work in progress because Mm -hmm. she yet again exemplifies that she's willing to sort of hitch herself to another extremely wealthy man. Mm. Just because I think, and I, I, as the armchair psychologist in this pairing of, of you and I, I'll say that it's very easy to revert to past patterns of behavior, Mm -hmm. much more so than to chart a new course. So here, you know, she had been married to this domineering, you know, not not abusively so, but I'm saying like this larger than life presence Mm -hmm. and sort of hitched her wagon to that star in a sense, romantically. And then she meets whatever his name is, Jean, whatever, um, the Olivia, yeah, Olivia, the Olivier Martinez, character. Mm-hmm. And so she sort of does the same thing again and then realizes that doesn't work. But then the final scene of the show. Yeah. What is that? 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. What happened? <sighs> it's almost like it's <laughs> this is speculation but it's like almost like the producers are like oh we got the green light for season 2 let's set up some uh, drama because shall we explicitly say it, what happens or yeah yeah we, why yeah. not okay so she the very last shot i think of season 1 is she it's revealed that she has at least been romantic again with her ex-husband john novak so uh, this mm. is the whole season she has spent with bringing the audience along with this sort of recovery, re- rebirth, rediscovery of who she is and how she's going to, and just shortly before that, sort of announced that she's almost, um, by saying she's giving away all of her wealth to zero, she's renouncing this version of herself that was true when she was with the Adam Scott, John Novak character. And then the, sh- the season ends with her, with him in, in her bed. So what does that do for us? It tells us that it's hard, you know, to make these changes, that, as you said, we can revert to our past behaviors much more. There's a gravity that pulls us back to Mm -hmm. past behaviors, even when they're bad or maladaptive behaviors. So, you know, in a therapy with this Molly character, there are two things that I I would just mention. One is that it would be really, really important that you set the boundaries of your therapeutic alliance very clearly so that she as a patient would not be able to use money or influence to to modify the therapy, right? One show, just slightly uh, to to make this point, one show that did this really well in one or two episodes was The West Wing when the president of the United States secretly, he couldn't sleep, he was having some sort of trauma reaction and, you know, he brought in a secret therapist who basically didn't take any nonsense, didn't take any... uh, the president had no authority over him, you know, kind of a thing. Mm. That would have to be the case. And it has to be the case with any, you know, any patients across the board, no matter right. if they're a celebrity or if they're extraordinarily wealthy or if they... Or if they have you chained up in your basement. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, speaking of the patient, we yeah. could, you know, there are all kinds of things where you have to set certain boundaries in advance and stick to them. Yes. The second thing is... There's a, there could be a little bit of work that is defined around almost like perceiving the divorce that she has, the separation that she's gone through with John Novak as a grief, a period of grief. Because as you said, when, when a major thing changes like a job, location, home, marriage, when it dissolves, 
that is a useful method, uh, the same sort of approach you might do with someone going through a grief, a grieving process. You, yes. you can do with this person and say, you don't forget or, or, you know, forgiveness is a separate thing, but you don't forget what happened, but you do need to chart a course forward that aligns with what you want it to be, right? And so that, that I think would be most of the, uh, the content of the work with her. Hmm. So would you, would you ever say like, don't sleep with your ex? No, uh, I, I don't tend to make proclamations like that, uh, or, you know, sort of like commands of, of patients because it's not my life, it's their life. So, you know, you almost always ask the patient questions about what draws them to those decisions, Hmm. uh, what, are things that make them feel good or bad about those decisions? How do they conceptualize what's happening in their world? And when you when you just ask the right questions, if the patient is ready and with an open enough mind about it, you can often um, have them see where where the problems are and and potentially what the more sort of adaptive paths forward are. So uh, yeah, I wouldn't now. We talked several weeks ago about a show, Never Have I Ever, where the therapist would often sort of tell uh, yes. Davy, like, you know, how it was or what she was doing, how obviously she was skirting the real issue, that kind of thing. Maybe with a certain kind of patient, a, a, a child patient, you know, there might be a little bit more of a directed kind of uh, approach. Mm. But with uh, someone like Molly, I think you'd have to, She's she's a smart woman, you know, she's capable, you'd have to just lead her with her, with her own thoughts to the more adaptive place. Gotcha. That would be my, my two cents anyway. You know what? She never did go back on that boat. <laughs> the more I think about it, mm. maybe that's where season two will open <laughs> on the villain boat, you know, what do you yeah i mean you're really you jordan are really good at imagining scenarios for future seasons i think um Mm. what do they have i mean they've set up this process oh how are we going to get rid of 120 billion dollars in a funny entertaining and also responsible way you know that's all i can and the romance and sort of the drama there but i feel like they've got to broaden their horizons a little bit on this show i agree i agree yeah um it was fun. I, yeah, I'll, it's fun. It's, uh, you know something? Yeah. It, it didn't, it, like, <laughs> I could easily, after watching an episode or two, go to sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is this not is the a, case with all is, of our shows. Exactly. This is the kind of show that you watch after you watch The Patient so that you don't have the nightmares. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. This is a little bit of a palate cleanser yeah. for your emotions. So, so there's value in that as well. Yeah. It's a great premise. And my Rudolph is wonderful. And and a lot of the people in the show are great. So, well, it's fun. All right. (laughs) We're allowed to have fun, Adam. Oh, that's a relief. Okay. (laughs) All right. Thanks so much. We'll talk again soon. Bye. Bye. Please be advised that Characters on the Couch is a show focused only on fictional people, and none of the content should be considered medical or professional advice in any way. If you or someone you know is struggling with your mental health, please seek out professional consultation. Thank you. Thanks so much. Hope to see you guys next week. Thank you again for listening. Just a reminder, today's episode marks the end of season one of Characters on the Couch. We'll be back in the midfall. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter for any updates. And uh, we look forward to seeing you again with season two of Characters on the Couch coming soon. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.